You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. cover. I will neither confirm nor deny that I actually snuggled a kitten. You made me. It is. And, uh, posted a picture of me with a kitten. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't understand the love of cats. I've never understood that. I get, I get soft and fluffy. I get that. All right. All right. That's fine. But I do not understand why women love cats. Because they go out all night and don't come home. When they come home, they ignore you, and all they want to do is eat and sleep. Everything you hate about men, you love about cats. <laughs> okay, say something holy now. Well, it's because of me that he even had a cat in his lap yesterday because I have this habit like even if we're in a grocery store or some I don't know some other store and there's a big fluffy stuffed animal I'm like here hug it <laughs> I'm like you gotta hold it I don't know what it is but you know something about childlikeness I don't know anyway <laughs> we're really glad to be with you guys again and I just like John said coming just recovering from worship like wow so amazing just to be ushered into that place, you know, with just the focus and intention on God. It's the best place to be. Um, I'm not going to stay up here very long. I just wanted to tell you about something. There's an event that's coming up in June that we wanted to share with you. Um, now, if you have a problem with the whole grace thing, like if grace gets on your nerves and you really want to be a good legalist, I have a law for you to follow. And it's actually the royal law, and it's found in Scripture. It's in James 2.8. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. It literally calls it the royal law. And if you don't like that version, the good old King James says, if ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Well, we're all into this, um, just exploring what it means to walk in that royal identity. Um, so we have a conference coming up June 26th through 29th in Colorado Springs, and it's going to be at the Glen Irie Castle. It's called the Kingmakers Conference. And really what a kingmaker is, is just somebody who empowers other people to walk in their royal identity and their calling. So we're going to have a really awesome time. It's going to be me and Bill and Jim and Mary Baker. I don't know if you're familiar with them. He's been here, right? No, he hasn't yet. Okay. Okay, well, I think Jim should probably come. <laughs> Jim and Mary are two of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. When we hang out with them, we just laugh the whole time. Uh, but it's going to be three days of, of just seeking uh exploring and worshiping, celebrating and having fun and, and talking in a castle. It's Glen Irie Castle. You can look it up, Colorado Springs. If you're interested, go to kingmakersconference.com and you can fill out a little form that'll come to me or just look me up and email me, tracyvanderbush at gmail.com. Anyway, we love you guys. I'm glad to be here. All right. Uh, Tracy will have some resources out in the back. She'll be back there at the table afterwards. There's a few USB thumb drives, a book that we wrote on marriage called The Four People You Marry, which uh, is a fun book. It's, I, I always like to have to give a disclaimer because it's not about polygamy or polyamory or anything like that. Somehow people thought that for whatever reason. Um, so uh, the four people you marry are the person you think they are, the person they think they are, the person they are right now, and the person that they are becoming. And problems arise in marriage when you fall in love with one or two out of the four. <laughs> and when the other ones show up, and they will, you know, you can suddenly think to yourself, what have I done, and who did I marry, and what is happening to me right now? So, uh, yeah, it, it's, if, you, if, you, if you know somebody who's struggling in their marriage, this is a great book to get them. And if you just want a good, entertaining bathroom reader, this is a good one as well. So... <laughs> 
buy it for your spouse. That's a good move. Uh, <clears throat> anyhow, there's a number of USB thumb drives uh, that'll be back there. There's a new one we've done called uh, Beyond the Veil, and it's uh, it's an eight-hour series on on worship actually. And uh, when God put the tabernacle together in the wilderness, it's it's shaped actually in in the shape of a cross, but probably more accurately, it's in the shape of a human body. And when you would enter the tabernacle, you would enter at the feet, and the journey was from the feet to the head. And each stage was basically an invitation from God to a greater degree of intimacy with his presence to the point where ultimately you get a fresh revelation of what it means to be a new covenant worshiper. It's more than getting together in this room and singing songs. Yeah, this can teach you a lot about how to live worship as a lifestyle, though, so this is kind of a big starting point. So anyway, eight hours of that back there. There's a 10-hour teaching on a New Covenant perspective on the book of Revelation, which you guys get a lot of around here. I know that's a, that's a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff back there, so check that out. Uh, I'm stalling a little bit because I had a sermon this morning, had a revelation. I, I, have, I have a word right now that I feel like is a really global word, and I'm actually going to save it for tonight. I really wanted to preach it this morning. And um, there's, there's a... Uh, there's a thing about being a minister for decades and decades, which we have been, where you pretty, pretty much you, you kind of have a library of things, and you can just start going through and just pulling out things that you love and have confidence in, and God's breathed on it in the past when you go to a place. But here's one of the reasons why I like to go to a house where I have relationship, and that is if you love the people and you love the message, God will give you a fresh word almost every time. And so that's what keeps it challenging for me. Uh, I'd rather do this any day than just go to a big conference or stand in front of a you know huge group of uh, conference junkies, much as I love them and all their flags and shofars. The, it, there's some, there's some, God bless it, but it's all good. We always used to say in our home church, you know, people say, well, how do you join the church? What's your new members class? And they say, I don't know how many times you've been hit in the head with a flag. Because three times and you're a member. I mean, that's it. So... Uh, so I get it. I love all the expressions and all that stuff. But, but when I come to a house where people have actually decided that this is more than just you being an audience member listening to a teaching and, and a place where your kids are happy and you can hide for a while, where you've actually started to sow into relationships, then people that come in, God will put a, uh, a word on their heart specific to the community often that they're speaking into. And it, it keeps us on our toes. So, um, here's how on my toes I am this morning. I'm standing there in worship, and I'm totally confident in what I'm going to share this morning, and I literally feel the Lord say, drops a verse in my heart, and it's a verse I've never preached on in my life. And so, I pick up my Bible, and I look at it, and suddenly, we're going to do something I've never done before, and we're going to do it kind of on the spur of the moment. So, hang on, get your notes out, and get your Bibles. This is, uh, this is going to be interesting. And I'm going to learn right along with you, okay? <laughs> sometimes we preach what we know, and sometimes we preach what we need, and it's up to you guys to figure out which is which <laughs> for those of us who are up here speaking. But mm. Holy Spirit, we honor your presence. God, I honor your presence in this moment. I recognize these, the beautiful rarity of these moments where where you desire to say something that I've never heard you say before. And perhaps do something that I've never seen you do. So God, we set our hearts, I set my heart today positioned for whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say. To this house in this moment, we recognize the, the time that we're standing in right now. We understand that what you're doing and saying in this day, God, we can't live without your word. We can't live without seeing your activity and partnering with it. So, Father, draw us into an awareness of what it meant when you made yourself of no reputation. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Wash over us today with the oil of your presence. Wash over us today with a river of new wine. got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read a section of Scripture, and then I'm going to jump to another section of Scripture, and I want to talk to you for a little bit. 
Hebrews chapter 12, and starting in verse 20, I'm not going to read this section, but it's just a setup for what's about to happen. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to Jewish Christians, and he's speaking to people who have one foot in the law and one foot in the new covenant. Old covenant on one side, new covenant on the, uh, the other side. And this is the way a lot of Christians live. I'm going to live over here in an old world because this is how I relate to the people that I really do care about and love. And if I left this world, they would completely cut me off. And then over on this side, I've got my faith in Jesus. The problem is, is this put this to death. It's almost like if, if, I, if I live like this, I'm testifying to what Christ did on the cross actually didn't do anything. And, uh, and, and so th this is an all-in ultimatum from the writer of Hebrews to basically tell these guys, get out of the old covenant once and for all. You're in a new covenant. It's a new and living way. Jesus is better. Jesus is better is the three-word, uh, I would say, the three-word uh, uh, signpost over the entire book of Hebrews, trying to convince these people, be all in with Christ, all right? And so he says to them, verse 20, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, New Jerusalem, verse 22, myriads of angels, a general assembly, the church of firstborn, spirits of righteous made perfect, and Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I've preached about that a ton over the years, but I've never preached about the next section. And I want to go down specifically to verse 26. And it says this, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. His voice, I want you to think about this with me for a second. His voice shook the earth. This has been a study, a private study for me. I've never actually preached on this message or this, this verse before, but it's been a personal private study, and here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, in, in verse 26, he's actually quoting Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, which we're going to go to in just a second. But think about this with me. When you think of God shaking the earth with his voice, most of the time, when we think of something being shaken, we think of something negative. Like, like if it's certain and it's solid, then it's stable and I can hang on to it and it's secure. But the minute something can be shaken, now that's a bad deal. And so if God's shaking something, that means he must be bringing a judgment of sorts. And this is the flip side of the shaking, is that is whenever we hear the word judgment, most of the time we think of it as a negative. Because when we think of us judging one another, most of the time we default to judging negatively. And so God's shaking and God's judgment don't assume that they are negative. When God shakes something, it's for the good. And when God judges, he judges in righteousness. That's why... He gives us the Holy Spirit to convict you or to convince you of your righteousness. It's kind of like you have no problem believing you're unrighteous. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart to actually convince you that you're righteous. Right? Um, there, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a verse over in 1 John chapter 4. It says, uh, uh, whoever, I'm going to quote this wrong, but let me try, try it like this. Whoever confesses Jesus Christ is the Son of God, comma. God lives in him and he in God. Whoever confesses Jesus or confesses Jesus is the Son of God, and then there's a comma there. God lives in him and he in God. You can confess that Jesus is the Son of God, which I believe most Christians, most people have done, which is why we call ourselves Christians. I believe, Jesus, you're the Son of God. That can happen today. That can happen in a second. But you may take decades to climb over that comma. It's one thing to believe he's the Son of God. It's the other thing to come to a realization that you live in God and he in you. No distance, no separation between you and God. Right? So today, you may, you may be like, yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Is there anything more to know? I don't know. If you come to a place of fullness of understanding of what it means to be at reconciled rest in the heart of the Father, and from that posture of rest, learn how to get more done by surrender than striving? Uh, no. Keep climbing. That comma can be pretty tall. I get it. But on the other side, there's a new covenant revelation of union that will absolutely blow your mind. 
It's true. There's a, there's, a, there's a revelation for us to come to to where then we can read verses like shaking and judgment. And we, go, we don't freak out about it and decide to throw the entire Bible in the trash can. You can start realizing, wait a minute, God is so good that his shaking and his judgment is actually for my good. And actually, it's not a negative. It's a positive. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, it's um, uh, 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to try to pose like, you know. <laughs> as good as I possibly can. So, you know, let me, let me do a serious one like this, and then, and then, and then, and then a happy one. Good, good. You got to work with the camera person. So, <laughs> you're welcome. <clears throat> so, uh, in, uh, in 1 John chapter 2, John is writing to three groups of people in there. There, there's going to be like 20 messages in here, okay? So if you're looking for something systematic and makes a whole lot of sense, you know, slice this up and maybe that'll work. The, uh, John is writing, he says he's writing to three groups of people, and he writes to little children, young men, and fathers. And, and he tells each group, each section here, what they know. And he says to the children, children know two things. When you're at the childhood stage in your walk with the Lord... Uh, children know two things. They know their sins are forgiven, and they know the Father. In other words, they know they're a child of the Father. That's basically it. Childhood stage Christianity, which is fine. That's all right. But then he says, and I write to you young men, and young men know three things. Young men says uh, that you know that you are strong, that the word abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Okay? So young men know that they have power, and they want to go out and slay the dragons all day long. When you're young man, young person stage, okay, so this is men and women, young person stage is like, I want to go and get out and do everything I can for God. Rah, 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 give me a dragon to fight. You're just glad that the devil exists so that you have something to do to make you feel better. <laughs> you know, it's like, I asked a person, a friend of mine, well, we're not friends anymore, but I asked a... I asked a friend of mine who was a deliverance minister about his deliverance ministry. I said, what happens if the demons don't show up to your conference? <laughs> I wasn't being ornery. It was a sincere question. What happens if the demons don't show up? Because, you know, it's a deliverance conference. It means you have to get people delivered from demons. If nobody gets delivered, was it really a successful conference? <laughs> Ask yourself the question, why do they even go? The marketing materials make it pretty clear as to what it's going to be. <laughs> You kind of need demons at a deliverance conference to have a successful conference, right? Should put them on payroll or something. I don't know. Anyway. All these things that are gift-based ministries, by the way, along with celebrity Christianity, is falling, toppling left and right. Why? It's pulling our eyes back to Jesus, back to the face. All of the gifts of deliverance, prophecy, and healing, all of those things are byproducts of focusing on his face. That's it. And ultimately, focus on his face, and pretty soon there are gifts from his hand. We look at the gifts and go, you know what? If I take that gift, apply it to my life, and elevate that as the draw, pretty soon you have healing ministries, deliverance ministries, prophetic ministries. And I'm like, I believe in prophecy, healing, and deliverance, but it all comes from Jesus. And I'm saying it's, it, it all comes back to him now. Otherwise, it's our gifts that elevate us, right? So anyhow, another word for another time. Uh, so he says, I write to you young men because, and he says these three things, you have overcome the evil one. In other words, you're kind of at the end of your spiritual warfare stage. You're just, you're done beating up a defeated devil, you know, for your own ego. <clears throat> so, and then he says, he finally finishes up with, and I write to you fathers, and he only says one thing about fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. In other words, fathers understand the I amness of God that his throne and his kingdom have never been under threat and never will be. And you can look at everything going on in the world, and you're like, oh, no, everything's shaking. Yeah, that's childhood. That's young men. That's fathers look at what's going on in the world and go, yeah, he's on the throne. I don't know if anybody knows this or not. Why is everybody acting like he's not? And the young men and the children look at the fathers and they judge the fathers and think that they're complacent and apathetic, but then they wonder why the fathers get more done. <laughs> so, so, shaking, judgment, 
don't automatically default to those things as negative when you hear them coming from God, as we're going to see just in a second. It says in verse 27, yet this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. In other words, our posture as new covenant believers is consistently thanksgiving. What are we thankful for? We are thankful because of what has already taken place. He has already overcome the world. We can live with a consistent sense of gratitude no matter what is happening all around us and the circumstances around us. Why? Because he's already overcome the world. It doesn't put us in a place of apathetic complacency. It sets our hearts at a place of peace knowing that God is not pulling his hair out trying to come up with new strategies to deal with devil's new ideas. The devil has no new ideas. Demons are getting stupider. I'm totally convinced of that. Why? Because intellectually and strength-wise, they're on a budget. The devil is on a budget. I don't know if you realize this or not. The devil is so on a budget, the only weapon he has to use against you is a lie. He is only smart enough to lie. And anybody can do that. Right? From a military standpoint, a lie is a, an in intimidation. And intimidation is the lowest budget resource any military has. Because even if a gun is empty, somebody can still point it at you. That's intimidation. When you have nothing to actually fire at somebody, the only thing you can do is make them think you're a threat. And it's amazing how we have gotten good at building ministries by manufacturing threats that Jesus overcame at the cross. If you need a big, strong devil so that you can be a cape-wearing superhero, you're not a minister, you're a cult leader. Wow. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I, just, I just refuse to be in marketing for the devil. I'm just saying. I, I refuse to preach a defeated devil back into business. Just saying. You say, well, people act and people are doing and people are this and that. No, people are coming to agreement with a lie. That's a low, that's a low budget resource of intimidation. And what do we do? We preach the truth that sets people free to elevate and lift up the name of Jesus Christ above everything else. Otherwise, our gifts become an idol and we will end up worshiping them. Even, even healing. I, okay, let me just say this. I, I love healing. We see it all the time. I pray for the sick. I love it. And I, I, I'm, I love every time God comes and does an amazing thing. But even that is never meant to be a movement exalted above Christ. It was never meant to be a movement. It's a gift of grace that comes from keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's supposed to be a byproduct of everybody's life with Christ, not a movement that's marketed as, as, by a specific group of people as our corner market on this particular move. Why do I know that? Numbers chapter 13. Most, man, I'm like trembling up here. I hope you're as trembly as I am right now. Because um, I have no idea what you're going to say next, Bill. It's okay, neither do I. Numbers chapter 13. Moses is having a moment where snakes are coming out of the ground as a result of people's murmuring, complaining, and they're biting people. And, and Moses says to God, what do I do? And God says, take that brass serpent, make a brass serpent, put it up on a pole. Anybody who looks at it will be healed. Do they have to understand the serpent? No. Do they have to do a class on the serpent, like the theology behind why this works? No. Just, just have them look at it. That'll do. That's it? Yeah, just look at it. And they'll be healed. Which so I thought was amazing. What a Holy Spirit-inspired prophetic act that brought about a healing revival that saved an entire nation. That's awesome. Fast forward a thousand years and King Hezekiah is told by God to tear down the idols in his land. And so he's pulling down altars, poles, all kinds of crazy stuff. And in the middle of the list, it says, And Hezekiah broke apart the bronze serpent that Moses had made for the people were offering incense to it. You can take a Holy Spirit-inspired prophetic act that brought life in a moment of time and spend generations worshiping it. We can turn anything and anyone into an idol. 
And one thing I've discovered about God, and that is that he never warms up to idolatry in any covenant, in any generation. <laughs> Figure that one out. That's why, listen, that's why when you see ministers falling off pedestals, there should have never been pedestals in the first place. And daily my prayer is, God, if I'm on a pedestal, give me a ladder and get me down off of here super quick. Because celebrity Christianity was never meant to be the point of what we do. It's just not. This expression, verse 27, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we've received the kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I mean, just about this, this section of scripture for years, that little God is a consuming fire part, but I never really stopped to think about the kingdom that can't be, can't be shaken, and yet once more will I shake heaven and earth. So go with me to that section of scripture. I want you to see what the prophecy about the shaking that is to come actually is all about. 520 years prior to Jesus, uh, the book of Haggai is written, and uh, in the middle of this book, uh, Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 5, I want you to see the way he starts this prophetic word out. Now, this, this prophetic word, you take it and go, okay, I get this. This is for Haggai's day. Okay, I get that. And it's super easy to see because everything that Israel had experienced going through Babylonian captivity, raising up a whole new temple, basically trying to rebuild themselves, their identity as, as a nation, uh, all of that could have been applied in this word shaking. I get that, right? But the writer of Hebrews basically says what he spoke about has yet to come. So the writer of Hebrews reaches back five centuries, grabs a hold of Haggai's word, and brings it into a new covenant day just beyond the cross, and now tells the Jews, heads up, this word hasn't been fulfilled yet. What's about to come is the shaking that was spoken of in Haggai. And I want you to see what this shaking looks like. The first thing is the posture of our heart. Verse 5, as for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, he says, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. The spirit of God, by the way, had never left his people. The spirit of God, by the way, has always been in the earth. You and I have not uh, had a moment of time where the Spirit of God has not been accessible. In the Old Testament, it was the Holy Spirit that inspired and empowered a guy named Bezalel to artistically design the art of the temple, right? All over the Holy Spirit, you see the, the, or, or the, the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Covenant working. It's not like he's waiting, 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 and then Jesus brings him. What Jesus brought us was an awareness of what was available to us in God because apart from a new covenant revelation of how forgiven we are, we would never believe what the Father says about us. We would always have been trying to somehow, through our own self-righteousness, attain a worthiness that we could never attain through our works. It had to be given by grace, so then we would actually believe we could receive the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, the, so Jesus brings about a revelation of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here, look at this. He says, my spirit is abiding in your midst. What's the result of the Holy Spirit abiding in and upon you? And you can take this from a new covenant perspective. Do not fear. One of the biggest evidences of the Holy Spirit saturating your life is he will sever you from partnering with a spirit of fear. Right? You can literally walk in confidence. You can walk in confidence no matter what is going on around you. World War III could start tomorrow, and it literally could, and you don't have to fear. Just saying. doesn't make us apathetic and complacent. It reveals and unveils the reality of what we actually have access to in terms of the unshakable kingdom. Right? So, do not fear. Verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts. Love it how the Bible just, you know, 
thus says the Lord. Okay, it means listen. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land. And you stop and think about, is that negative? Let's read the next verse. I want you to see what the shaking of God looks like. I'll shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory. The gold is mine and the silver is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I'll give peace. When I read this this morning, it jumped out at me because I feel like this for some people in this room and those who will watch this online. He begins with do not fear. And keep in mind, this is a word not just for Haggai's day. This is a word for where we're standing right now. It's a new covenant word that the writer of Hebrews spoke over the Jewish Christians of his day. It's why it's called Hebrews. But it's also, it's after Christ and he basically says, this word is for a now generation. This, is, this word is for a new covenant generation. And I believe it speaks to the posture of our heart. It starts with don't fear. Be severed from fear. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit in and upon me. We're going to talk about this in a little bit more in just a second. And then he goes on to say, I'm shaking everything. And I'm talking everything. In other words, it's going to impact the heavens and the earth. It's going to impact the spiritual realm. You see right now, it feels like stars are falling from the heavens. It feels like people who we've elevated as heroes are falling. And I want to tell you something about that. Understand this. We have a, a, a huge problem. When I say celebrity Christianity, I say we take and put people up on pedestals and we go, okay, that person is super anointed, therefore it must be holy. They must be like super holy. And then we realize they're not. And it freaks our faith out. So let me kind of bring you back to a place of reset. The anointing on a person's life is not God's affirmation of everything about their character. I know I'm shooting myself in the foot here, but God has consistently throughout the scripture anointed unanointable people. Not so that we will turn them into idols. He anoints people with issues as a testimony to his grace that he can use anybody. It's not supposed to give us idols. It's supposed to give us hope. God spoke to the prophet Balaam through an ass. And he's been using them ever since. <laughs> so, so when God speaks through you, don't think so highly of yourself, all right? <laughs> I heard Rich Mullen say that years ago. And, and, and I, I thought to myself, I'm so offended right now. And I heard God say, good. <laughs> Never forget that. And I, I just haven't. There's, there's, a, there's a sense where we, we have a tendency to see a person in a stage of great anointing and thinking that God is telling us, this is who I want you to be like. You're never, nobody's ever elevated so that you'll be like them. They're elevated so that you can watch their life of discipleship in their highs and lows. You can watch them stumble toward a greater depth of intimacy with Christ. And that's what's supposed to inspire you. That if they can do it, so can I. All right? Yeah. All right. Wow. <clears throat> so he says... Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens, the earth, and also the dry land. I'm going to shake all the nations, and they'll come with the wealth. The wealth, by the way, isn't just money. The word for wealth here basically denotes everything that is precious to us. We're going to show up finally with a, with a realization that the things that are precious to us may not be precious to God. And there will be like a crossroads moment where we finally take everything that is precious to us, and we just lay it down at his feet and say, God, I... I'm thankful. My whole heart is filled with gratitude, but ultimately has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Has nothing to do with the stuff that's precious to me. It's just really all about you. It's really all about you. The come of the wealth of the nations. By the word, word for, by the way, the word for nations, word goya, it's just, means all of humanity. It's not just Jews. It's literally all of humanity. Every human being says all of the nations. And then he says, and I will fill this house with my glory. 
Now, people often ask me this question, and they've asked this question a lot over the years because I talk a lot about the grace of God, and the grace and the glory of God go hand in hand for a reason. People will say, Bill, what is the glory of God? So let me just go through this super quick. Moses went to the mountain three times, and on the third visit, he says to God, show me your glory. God responds by saying, I'm going to make all of my goodness to pass before you. Okay? So he defines his glory as his goodness on display. Right? Moses comes back from that encounter, and he's literally shining so brightly, they have to put a veil over his face so that he can have a conversation with people. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the glory of God will shine upon you, and kings will stream, or nations will stream to the brightness of your arising. There's an appetite in every human being for a revelation of the glory of God, whether we know it or not, Right? You say, well, I, I'm not glorious. I, there's nothing glorious about me. And a lot of people will downplay what they're supposed to carry in God as a point of humility. But that's not what you're supposed to do. You are a carrier of the glory of God. You can't help it. It's not even your fault. Yeah. Ephesians 3.21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly, above and beyond, all you could ask, that's our prayer life, or think, that's our imagination. So he wants to go beyond your prayer life, beyond your imagination, beyond your wildest prayer, beyond your wildest imagination. The next line is, according to the power at work within you. So he wants to go beyond you, but he's going to do it from within you to show you how he sees you because the kingdom in you is bigger than the kingdom around you. Okay. So according to the power at work in you, and it says, goes on to say this phrase, to him be glory in the church. So you're stuck being glorious, and you can't have, wait, wait, wait. But Bill, this isn't the church. Well, I'll halfway agree with you. Let me tell you why halfway. Because in Acts it says, they devoted themselves four things, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, a breaking of bread, and prayer. This is what the writer of Acts basically says are the four qualities of what it means to literally walk in this community. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. In this environment that we meet together in once or twice a week, we do two of these really, really well. Teaching and prayer. Prayer is, is communing together with the presence of the Lord. Okay? Worship, we do that. We take time in prayer. We speak to God. We sing. We, we worship him. We turn our eyes to him collectively together. It's just becoming conscious and aware of the presence of God. All of those things are encompassed in this beautiful revelation of prayer. So we do teaching and prayer really well. You say, well, you know, this is, I've heard people say to me, this is like the Babylonian synagogue. We shouldn't be doing this anymore. We got to get out of the building. Whoa, time out. Let me tell you why we do this. Stop thinking of this as church and thinking of this as, think of this instead as school. Okay? Why do we do this? Come here and think of it like this. Volunteer to be a greeter. Learn how to treat people with kindness. Then take that out into the world. Develop a habit of greeting everybody with honor, respect, and kindness, and courtesy, and serving one another. Then take that out in the world, but practice it here. You want to learn how to be a radically generous person? Learn to give to God and sow into the things of God in this place that you're called to build community in. And then suddenly take that same spirit of generosity where you hear the Lord tell you what to give... And take that out in the world. Next thing you know, you're sitting in a restaurant. God says, pay for their meal. Pay for their gas. Buy their groceries. What are you doing? You're learning something in here that you walk out out there. You want to learn how to hear the voice of God? Answer every altar call and come into partnership with somebody who will pray with and over you. And learn how to pray and listen to God. I, listen, I don't care. Get, get so, just get to the point where somebody calls for, this altar call is only for Chinese women in their 30s who are pregnant. I don't care if you got a beard this long. Just get up here. Just be like, that's me. I'm here right now. Doesn't matter. That hungry. Let's go. <laughs> Learn how to, 
That was such a weird example. <laughs> learn, learn how to hear God together and engage with God together and then take that lifestyle of listening to his voice out of here. Why do we sit in a room like this with a whole bunch of people staring at one person watching them talk, which has gotten a ton of criticism? Because it does two super important things. In a world filled with noise, it teaches you for a little while how to be a listener, and it puts you in a place of being a teachable student. Both of those are super important. So all the stuff that happens in here is like school to teach us how to live out there. It's a big deal. And so you think, well, I'm going to leave here and go out there. That's called deconstruction. People are doing that now. And deconstruction has turned for many people into destruction. And then they wonder why after six months, 12 months, I don't even think I believe in Jesus. I don't read my Bible. And I don't care about any of this stuff. Next thing you know, they think they're listening to the universe when they pray. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, what have you done? Welcome to the book of Galatians. I'm in, a, I'm in a young adults conference recently, and, and I felt I'm stand, sitting in front of a whole bunch of angry young people. <laughs> Anti-religious, angry young people feeling like they've taken a major upgrade because now they're not religious anymore. And I'm looking at them and thinking to myself, wow. The, I, what I, the picture I saw was that they had a sledgehammer in their hand, and they were sledging religion and feeling good about it and cheering each other on. Here, you take the hammer for a second. Bam, bam, bam. You take the hammer. I hate this. Uh, this is, uh. Next thing you know, they're like cheering each other on. And I felt like the Lord said, yeah, let me get that out of their system. When that has run its course, take the sledgehammer out of their hand, put a framing hammer in their hand, and now tell them to swing that for a while and build something for a change. You know why it's harder to build than it is to sledge religion? <clears throat> because to build something, you actually have to have skill. Not impressed by anybody sledging religion. You don't have to have any skill to do destruction. I can hire anybody off the street to come in and swing a sledgehammer when I'm doing house demo. But you're going to build my house? You better know something. And that means you have to have fathers and mothers in your life that are willing to speak into your life, and you got to be willing to listen to them. Which means you got to be teachable. Which means you got to be able to be correctable. Because I'm telling you right now, if you can't be corrected, you can't be trusted. God's building a trusted body. He's building, listen, the bride, understand this? God, we are the bride of Christ, and he will not be unequally yoked in this relationship. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> he will not be unequally yoked in, his re in this relationship. And, and he doesn't marry down. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but here's the result. The latter, latter glory of the house will be greater than the former glory of the house. And in this place, I'll give peace. Ran into some friends this morning. I brought this up yesterday to John just in passing. And Tracy says, you going to talk about this tomorrow? And I went, oh, I don't know. And then this morning when I ran some friends who are dear friends of a mutual friend of mine who wrote a book on, on wine and wineskins, I thought maybe this will be a way to end this today. Uh, you say, okay, okay, Bill, the shaking that God's bringing is actually for our good. The shaking is actually bringing an increase of glory. And we don't have to be fearful of what's going on. And ultimately, it ends with God uh, flooding us with peace. What does that even look like? And lately, God's been speaking to me a lot about wine and wineskins, what I'm going to call the rhythm of revival. All right, so if you're looking for a structured message, I'm going to give it to you here in the next eight minutes. You ready? All right, and give you something to do with what you've just heard today. I believe revival is our lifestyle. It's what we're supposed to live. As a kingdom people in a kingdom that can't be shaken, we've got to learn how to live in this kingdom as healthy people living in this world. Okay? So how do we do that? Luke chapter 5, when, when uh, Jesus says, he says this phrase. In two verses, he gives us probably one of the best revelations on how to walk as healthy new covenant people. He says, nobody puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise that wineskin bursts and both are lost. And we've seen a lot of examples in this world of wineskins that have burst and the wine and the wineskin are lost. The, the vessel and the treasure they contain are lost and the body of Christ is not richer for that, right? But he says, then he goes on to say in Luke chapter 5, he says, but you put new wine in 
new wineskins. It's interesting because it's the same word, new, unless you look it up and you realize the word for new is different. The first word for new is different than the second word for new. The first word for new means new by age. In other words, it's, it's a, a brand new, never been seen before, new wine. But the second word does not mean new by age. It means refreshed or renewed. In other words, it's been used before, but now we're going to refresh it and use it again. So the verse should read like this. You put new wine into fresh or renewed wineskins. So then the question comes, how in the world, if, if we're the container, you're not becoming anything. Norman Grubb said this, and you're not becoming anything. You're a container built to hold something, built to contain something. So the only question is, what is filling you, right? So, so since we're meant to be filled with the fullness of him who fills all in all, then we can look at ourselves as wineskins and go, okay, Jesus is trying to tell us something here. How, how am I renewed as a wineskin? It's a three-part process. Part number one is you put that, that fresh living water of the Holy Spirit, it's the juice from the grape, it's in you. And what happens? Over time, it ferments and expands to reveal that you're bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. It stretches you because that's what the Holy Spirit will do. It's why he's called the comforter. Because comfort is what you need when he shows up. I don't know who ever came up with the theology that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. That's not in the Bible. He will come and kick down your structures. He just likes messing us up good. Just when dignity becomes our idol, next thing you know, you're laid out on the floor laughing like, nothing, like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> I'm a... We don't laugh in church. That's not dignified. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Joy has an external expression. The kind of laughter that when you get done laughing, your socks are hanging around your neck. I would call that a good worship service. Right? So, so, so many weird pictures. Uh, all right, so wine goes in the wineskin. Now the wineskin expands. Now you give an outpouring of new wine. That's a revival moment. Everybody drinks in the new wine. They're absolutely happy beyond belief, and they love everybody. That's what happens when you get a new wine outpouring. My goodness, it attracts and draws people. Everybody's happy and filled with the love of the Lord. It's an overflowing revival of healing and hope. It's wonderful. I love those new wine outpourings. The thing is, we want to repeat that immediately. And if we don't repeat it, then we'll say, oh, revival ended, because we think that's revival alone. And it's not. Right after that new wine outpouring, you know what you do with that wineskin? You rinse it out with fresh water. Why? Listen, in the fermentation process, there's separation and sediment settles in the bottom. That sediment that comes from that separation is actually toxic and not healthy to drink. So you rinse out the sediment with fresh water. In the Bible, the Bible's called, the Scripture's called the washing of the water of the Word, right? You, you, you had an experience with God. And when we have experiences, typically we close the book and forget the book. After an experience with God, go back and reaffirm your value for the soil of this book, for the soil of what God has given us in the Scriptures, Right now, the scriptures are being completely demolished by people who think they're super smart. And I'm telling you, we got, got, there's something about the soil of this book that will keep you grounded when the winds of adversity come. In the biosphere in uh, Arizona, years ago, if you guys ever read about this, really fun to Google. Google the trees in the biosphere. In the biosphere, they grew these trees. It was an artificial, perfect environment. And they grew these trees. And just before they got to a point of maturity, they started falling over, just one after another. You go up to them and grab a hold of one of the branches, and the whole thing come toppling down. And they couldn't figure it out. This environment is perfect, except for one thing. The trees had never felt wind. 
Without the wind of resistance, there was no incentive for those trees to put those roots deep into that soil. And they could never grow to maturity without falling over. And I'm watching this happen all over the place. Do you think, if I just, if I just come to Jesus, that's it. The wind of resistance is over. But a neighbor back in Minnesota, he'd go out and he'd get his newspaper in the morning, and he, and he, he had these little saplings in his yard, and he'd go get his newspaper, and he had a weird ritual. He'd go and, like, smack his trees, just hit them, whap, whap, whap. I'm like, why is he do? why is Mr. Furman smacking his trees around? My dad said, I don't know, I'm going to go ask him. So I went and asked him, and he says, yeah, I'm not raising wimpy trees. <laughs> We're down here in a valley, we don't get a whole lot of wind. Smack these trees around a little bit. They put their roots down deep in that soil. Because I'm not raising any wimpy trees. That is not parenting advice, by the way. Right? Just <laughs> like get a newspaper and go, Johnny, come here. <laughs> Smack you around, then go read your Bible. No, don't do that. Wind of adversity comes. What happens? You get the washing of the water of the word. Get us back to the, the place where we leave the experience behind, not to go back to the boringness of the book, but to get ourselves rooted and grounded in the scripture. Why? Because adversity will happen to everybody. Hey, I got news for you. You're not going to escape suffering as a Christian. I promise you, suffering will find you. That's not a prophetic word. That's just reality. And when it does, you know what? If you don't have some really good soil to put some roots down in, the first time wind of adversity hits you, you'll topple before you ever reach spiritual maturity. Right? The washing of the water of the word rinses out the residue from the last move. Because I promise you, every time God moves, there is sediment and there is residue. Yeah. Washing of the water rinses out the sediment and the residue from the last move. But the process isn't done. That's step number two. Third step is this. That wineskin is immersed in oil. I'm feeling today that many of you need this right now. Okay? You get teaching in the word. You've had outpourings and experiences. I've had some experiences in this room that have never been repeated anywhere else. There's amazing things that God has done in this place. He's kissed this ground with his presence. He, he, he's blessed this place with amazing outpourings. But here's one of the most important stages, and that is the oil. The application of the oil. And the, the vintner will actually rub that oil into that wineskin until the wineskin becomes soft and pliable and returns to its shape and its form again. And now, when it's soft and pliable, it can be repeated, stretched, the whole... Listen, you can take this process and do it over and over and over again. Why don't people do this? And oil, by the way, is the oil of joy for gladness. It's the oil of God for healing. But the reason people don't walk through what I would call this rhythm of revival so that they can understand the goodness that comes from the shaking of God is that we don't like the moments where nobody's watching. And two-thirds of this process, nobody's ever going to see. Nobody's going to see your time soaking in the scriptures, and nobody's going to see your time soaking in the oil. You don't get any glory in the world for that. You know what everybody sees? The outpourings. And so that's what we want to repeat over and over again. And we wonder why wineskins are bursting, the treasures being lost. Why? Because we haven't taken the value for the times when nobody's watching. But listen, if the life of David, King David, out in the, in the wilderness with the sheep teaches us anything, it's at the times when nobody's watching is what prepares you to slay giants and stand in victory when everybody's watching. When everybody's watching. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the new wine is followed by the washing of the water, the regrounding back into the scriptures is followed by a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, letting the oil flow over your life and bring you back to that place of being pliable again. So you're not jaded and cynical. If you've been feeling a little jaded and cynical as a Christian lately, get oily again. Get in the oil until there's a softness that comes upon you again. And pretty soon, it doesn't matter how people poke you. It doesn't seem to bother you anymore. Right? That's when you get to that place of being a father. You know him 
who is from the beginning. I liken it to breathing. You exhale, you inhale. You exhale, you inhale. There's an infilling, and then there's an outpouring. There's an infilling, and then there's an outpouring. And listen, in breathing, if you ever have a value for one over the other, your life expectancy is going to diminish significantly. And we have had a value for the exhale and haven't taken the time to inhale enough. And listen, if there's anything about this wine process that teaches us how to walk in divine health in the middle of a world that is shaking, in the middle of a small K kingdom that is shaking, and I'm talking about in the Christian world, Western churchianity is shaking. But can I tell you, the kingdom of God that is in there, that foundation, it will remain when everything else topples. And it's okay when things topple. Why? Because they needed to. The things we've turned into idols are toppling. It needs to. Why? Because what God is bringing and what he's doing can't come as long as what we've created that God didn't order continues to stand. And now it's a point where it's like, God, we just take everything that's precious to us and we bring it to you. We bring all of our Western Christianity all of our organization, all of our strategy. God, we just lay it all at your feet. Shake it all. And whatever is of you, what does he do? He hands back to you. He gives you this back and says, yes, this had my breath on it. This has my word on it. This. David came to God one day and says, I want to build a temple for you. I want to build a house for you. God says, yeah, it was never my idea, but I like you, and so I'm going to go with your idea. And I also have decorating tips. <laughs> for whatever reason, we thought that that was going to be a permanent thing. And when the building was burnt down the first time, Israel freaked out. When it was burnt down, destroyed the second time, Israel freaked out. But that type and that shadow of what God had put in David's heart was meant to bring us to a greater spiritual reality that the temple is not a building, it is you. The place that God has chosen to dwell in is not a house made with hands, it is you. And when you come to the buildings that we have built, you get to learn about how to be the temple. And when you learn that you're the temple, it doesn't matter if anything's shaken. You're earthquake-proof. You understand that? When you're the temple of God, you're filled with the washing of the water of the word. Your walls are good and oily. And you are consistently just giving out as new covenant produces in you a flow of new wine. And this world is consistently touched by you. Then you've learned how to walk as a healthy disciple in any generation, no matter what's going on, war, famine, pestilence, pandemics, doesn't matter what's happening in the world, or, or even the idol of our certainty and comfort. That's probably the most deadly of all. In those moments when you know how to be the temple, you know how to walk with an outpouring, the infilling of the oil and the water, listen, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, you'll remain unshakable. Stand with me this morning. Just lift your hands to heaven. Father, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would soak us down with the oil. With the oil that brings healing, refreshing, joy, gladness. God, that every circumstance right now that is shaking us, Father, that we would break all partnerships with a spirit of fear. And Lord, I release a supernatural divine peace over this company of people. And I call the gate a house of, of whew, wow, wow. You're a new wineskin generation. You are a new wineskin people, and you're learning how to breathe, to inhale, to exhale. So one more time, just stretch your hands out to the Lord. Lift your voice and just say thank you. God, fill us with a gratitude today. Fill us with a gratitude today. Fill us with the oil of your presence. God, soak us down in the oil of your presence. God, give us a passion for the scriptures once again. Give us a passion for your word once again. God, we just received the washing of the water of the word today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You receive this today? Amen. Amen. You can be, you can be seated just a moment. We'll release you in a moment. Um, but we are going to take up an offering to bless Bill this morning. Uh, I think it's always just something we should do is honor our guests. Thanks. I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, what are those other words under there? Don't, don't use the word guest house. <laughs> but is that prophetic? You're going to have a guest house? 
do it. I'll take it. <laughs> that, that was one of the most powerful messages I've heard Bill preach here. That was good. Wow, wow, wow. What, thank you, Lord. I, I, feel, I, I feel okay to leave it where it is. I feel like there's going to be more that happens tonight. But I feel like, I just feel like the Lord's like, it's okay for it, where, right where it is. Um, so we are going to take up an offering, and this all goes towards Bill and his ministry. We want to bless these guys. So I'm going to invite the ushers forward one more time, if you would, this morning. And uh, let's honor him. I've already, I, I sent my gift in while he was preaching. And uh, let's just honor him. They're such, just such a wonderful couple doing so many great things for the kingdom. So, Lord, we just thank you this morning for this word you've brought. Father, I pray that we would, Lord, respond now in many ways. Lord, only one being in an offering. But, Lord, that we would respond to what you're speaking this morning. We receive your word. We receive what you've presented today, God. We honor you. We love you. We bless Bill and Tracy. In Jesus' name, amen. You pass the baskets. Um, so good. You hit on so many things this morning. We just did a growth track, and there's, so, there's a few things that I hit, and I only had a moment to just, like, barely talk about it. And, and you went into one of them this morning that was so good on, on the judgment piece. It was so good. I think I said that. God aims his judgment at anything that interferes with love. And uh, such a good job just breaking that down this morning. We were here, um, something unique, um, I guess it was three, a little over three years ago now. Bill was here, uh, it was a Reformers Gathering conference that we did, which we need to bring that back now that we can do it again. Um, we started doing these conferences called Reformers Gathering. And uh, we usually didn't have Sunday night services. Uh, Sunday nights are one of those things that people don't do a whole lot anymore. Um, and we decided to do a Sunday night service and end the conference out, just open it up to the public. Anybody could come. And Bill was ministering that night, and we were just going to do a Sunday night service. And I remember showing up thinking, honestly, no one, there wouldn't be many people here. And I pulled in, and the parking lot was packed. The building was packed, and there was such an expectation in the room for what the Lord was going to do. And in the middle of worship, something just, the wave of his presence hit the room. The entire band stopped. Um, uh, my nephew at that point was playing piano. I remember watching him step away from it. Nobody was playing an instrument. And I wouldn't know. I was paying attention. And you began to hear this sound in the atmosphere that was not people. And there was literally the sound of angels in the room. We have it on a recording where we have a recording of this moment where all of the voices were lifted and then this angelic sound filled the room. And I remember the musician, I remember Travis looking around going, like, who is that? It's on video, you just see him, like, looking around. And um, that was the night that I knew in my spirit there was coming a time when we would begin doing Sunday nights. That was the... That, that's how long we've been soaking Sunday nights in prayer. It's been years. Sometimes you just take your time. And we've been soaking this in years, praying into it. And so this year we started these second Sunday nights, and they've already been so phenomenal. Um, I, I said this last week. Chad Dedman came uh, last month, and Chad said, he called me up on, I think, the Monday after. And he said, John, I just I can't get Sunday night out of my head. He said, I've been in Bethel when the glory cloud shows up. He said, I've been with Heidi Baker when people's eyeballs grow from healing. Like, they literally have eyeballs appear. He said, but what I experienced that night, I don't know if you saw it for those of you that were here. One of the most unique things that happened was that at the very end, um, we talked about praying over everybody. And I asked Chad, I'm like, you want to pray over everybody? And in his, like, exhaustion, he's like, Sure. And I felt like this, we're not going to have them pray over everybody. And I had everyone stand at the end, and I had everyone extend their hands and pray over them. You remember that, for those of you that were here? Um, Chad fell down, 
And here's what was cool. I said, I just want my leadership team to come up and pray over them. The moment I said that, all of the children came up and surrounded Chad. I didn't call them up, but it was just, I said, all my leaders come up. And all the kids were like, we got you. And, and they just like, they just surrounded Chad. And then people began to, um, this is stuff we don't make up. Like people began to invest into Chad and throw money. He's out in the spirit and they're throwing money on Chad. And I remember he, he wake, he's out of it, and he opens his eyes, and there's kids surrounding him in money. He's like, this is better than Christmas. This is the first thing he said. He's like, this is better than Christmas. Um, you know Chad. <laughs> and um, what he told me after that Sunday night, he said, that was a high water mark in my walk with the Lord. And so we've been experiencing some pretty amazing things. And so I do want to encourage you, for those of you who can come back tonight, um, it's a different atmosphere um, we're gonna hit, there's going to be a word, but we really value just letting the Lord, that, 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 let that oil is going to flow tonight. I can feel it. I could feel like the cat pop off this morning and this is going to pour. And so tonight we'll do a lot of just ministering over each other and letting the Lord so invite your friends, um, invite people that are just hungry for the Lord. We start at 6 p.m. tonight and we, we go until it's over or you leave. You can leave at any point. It's real. It's really just, we go until we're done. And so uh, I want to bless you. So let's stand up and we'll dismiss this morning. Um, thank you again, Bill. Um, thank you so much. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the word that you've spoken. Now, Lord, I pray over Bill. Would you fill him and refresh him this afternoon as he prepares his heart for tonight? That, Lord, he would come in just filled with uh, the words from you, Father, and filled with rest today. Father, I pray that you would bring those that need to hear what you want to speak tonight. God, we expect great things. We honor you. I want to call up, uh, do we have prayer team this morning available? Uh, I just want to make sure to have that opportunity. I apologize, I should have done that a minute ago. But if the prayer team could come up, if something's come up this morning and you say, I would like some agreement with that, whether it be a healing, whether it be uh, for a family member, anything like that prayer team will join with you and pray over you this morning and support you. Otherwise, um, say, say, you know, hey to a few people on your way. You got some amazing people around you. So as you leave this morning, just bless a couple people around you. And hopefully we'll see you this evening. Be blessed. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us. 